Well, the very first time I ever met Sarah, I was downstairs at Andrews University in the administrative building in the finance department. It's a really romantic place to meet, you know. So I, I was in line, and I noticed her get in line a couple people behind me. And I had already met her sister, Joanna, the one whose wedding we were in a couple weekends ago. I'd met Joanna previously, and I had seen Sarah on Facebook, so I recognized her and knew who she was, but she didn't know who I was. Not yet, anyways. So I saw her come into line, and I thought, hmm, this is an opportunity. And I had to think, do I want to take this opportunity or not? And I, I decided, yes. It wasn't necessarily love at first sight, but it was definitely interest at first sight. So as I'm leaving, I, I'm walking past her, and I just look at her and I said, hey, I know your sister. And she immediately said, which one? Yeah, I'm talking about you, dear. Okay. <laughs> so she said, which one? Kind of a, like, oh, you think you know my sister. I've heard that line before. What's her name? That's kind of almost the attitude that, that I was getting, um, in, in a good way. Like, you think you know who I am, but do you really know who I am? And so I said, Joanna. And she said, oh, with a surprised look on her face, you really do know my sister. And long story short, we got married. <laughs> so I'll tell you some more details later. Uh, although it was funny because she thought I was married. So she just, we chatted for a little bit. She happened to just be turning in a piece of paper. And so we ended up walking out together, chatting for about two minutes. And uh, she just thought, oh, yeah, some nice married, sing married seminarian guy. Uh, and that was about it. She, was no she did notice that I was wearing a down jacket, which was kind of an outdoorsy type thing uh, that not everybody wore out there, more of a, a West Coast kind of a deal. So she did kind of note that. But other than that, you know, that's, that's where that was. But, but, uh, but then God stepped in. But she wanted to know, do you really know my sister? Do you really know who I am? Who are you really? And that's the question that actually we're addressing as we get back into our series in the book of 1 John. I invite you to turn back there, 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Two weeks ago, we got the overview of this letter, this epistle, um, written with different intents, goals of helping preserve the flock against heresy, against false teachings, goals of helping people to love each other better, live out practical Christianity. And as we get into chapter 2, verse 3, we see this big question. Are you really a follower of Christ? Are you really who you claim to be? And today we're given two different ways we can know. Later on, we'll get a third way. But today, we're looking at two simple characteristics. Characteristic one, how do you live? And characteristic two, how do you love? So it's right there. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we what? 
if we keep his commandments, if we obey. If we really want to be Christians, we should start to live as Jesus lived. We should be Christians, living like him. If we're taking his name, we should start to obey him and follow him, not in a legalistic sense to try and earn our salvation. That salvation has already been provided. But because of what has been done for us, the love that has been given to us, we should take his word seriously. It's different to know someone about them versus knowing them personally, right? I knew a little bit about Sarah from my research on Facebook. That's what we're calling it, research. (laughs) There are other names for for that. (laughs) Research. I knew about her, but I didn't yet know her. I remember going to a wedding one time in Sonora before I lived there. I was invited by a friend, and people asked me, hey, who do you know better? I didn't know either the bride or the groom. I said, I know them both equally well. (laughs) Equally well. And then I told them, actually, I'm just here on invitation. But it's different to know about someone versus knowing them. And then we get to verse 4. Put it another way. The man who says, oh, I know him, I know God, I'm a Christian, but does not do what he commands is a what? Is a liar, and the truth is not in him. These are some pretty heavy words. It's, it's kind of like what Jesus already said in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do X, Y, and Z in your name? And I'm not going to heaven. And Jesus says, I never really knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, you workers of iniquity. These people were saying, oh, Jesus, I know you, I follow you, and in fact, look at what I'm doing in your name. But they didn't really know him, and they didn't really obey him, he says. So John says, if you claim to know Jesus, you better start living like it. You should take his word seriously. Some people say, I I, I know the Bible says, but, come on, let's you know, God, I, I want to follow you, except here. And you know, do, you, do you really expect me to do this, God? It's like the sheep and the goats. They say that, you know, the sheep follow the shepherd, but the goats, if you've seen goats, sometimes they like to butt people, right? Or they like to butt heads with one another. I've seen some funny videos online of a goat, like, butting someone, and then they fall into a lake. And... Goats like to butt. And in the last day, there are people who are saying, God, I I, I know what your word says, but Jesus, yeah, I, I know the command says this, but you don't understand my situation. So John says, if you say you know him, but you you don't want to obey him, whew, you're lying. You're lying and the truth is not in you. They say actions speak louder than words, right? Honey, you said you loved what I made for lunch, but you only had a few bites. 
Actions speak way louder than words. I have a hat here. I don't wear hats too much, but maybe some of you will recognize what's on the hat. Yes, what is it, Manny? Modesto nuts. Anyone know what that is? Anybody a fan of the Modesto nuts? Minor league baseball team? Who here says that I'm a fan? Okay, who here says I'm just a poser? Yeah, I don't, I've never been to a Nuts game in my life. I don't even know where they meet. Um, but my cousin gave me the hat because he thought it was a funny name. He heard I was moving to Modesto, and he thought, Nuts, that's a funny team name. I'm going to buy my cousin a hat. So I have a hat. I've never been to a game. I couldn't tell you a single player. I don't even know when they play, where they play. I can't tell you any of their stats. I might try and look like a fan, but I'm not a fan because I don't do the things that fans do, right? So there are people in this world, and, and I've been guilty of this myself, who say, oh yeah, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ. But are you doing the things that Jesus did? Are you doing the types of things that Jesus would do? Are you walking the way that Jesus walked? Some pretty intense words, powerful words. Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete. Other translations, perfected in him. Means matured. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Test number one. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a Christian? Well, number one, how are you living? Now, it's not that he's saying you must be perfect in every way to be a Christian because he's just said previously, if you claim to be without sin, you're a what? You're a liar. So John isn't saying you must live absolutely perfectly and only then can you say I'm a Christian. That's not what he's saying. But shouldn't our attitude towards obedience be different if we're a Christian? Shouldn't we say, God, I'm struggling to obey right now, but ultimately, your will be done. God, I'm not exactly willing on this one point, but God, I'm willing to be made willing. Can you work with that, God? That's different from somebody who says, yeah, I know what God says, but... Like those goats, right? So there's a difference in our attitude. There's a difference in the way that we choose to live. We should always aim for obedience. And if we fall down, as it says there, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, we have forgiveness, but we want to get back up again, and we want to try better the next time. You know, I was reading this interesting um, booklet And it was talking about a new phenomena that is being described in Christianity today. It's something that the author calls moralistic therapeutic deism. And let me explain this a little bit. They say, we have come to some confidence to believe that a significant part of Christianity in the United States is actually only tenuously Christian in any sense, 
that it is seriously connected to the actual historical Christian tradition, but rather it has substantially morphed into Christianity's misbegotten step-cousin called Christian moralistic therapeutic deism. So he explains what he means. In this way of living, religion exists to support the individuals, according to emerging adults, to provide useful beliefs and morals to help people live better lives. People should take what's useful to them, what makes sense to them, what fits their experience, and then they can just leave the rest. So it's kind of like potluck Christianity. I'm a Christian. I'm a potluck Christian. I approach the Bible. I, I approach the, the moral lifestyle and the things that I like that make me feel good. I'm going to take those and do those and follow those. I might even put it on, on my mirror in home. I might, uh, whatever, have a bumper sticker on that. But the things that I don't like, in this moralistic, therapeutic deism view, eh, if you don't like it, then leave it. I, I have a relative who, who said, yeah, I really approach Christianity more like potluck. I take the things that I like and I leave the things that I don't like. Here are some of the basic beliefs uh, that describe this category of people. They believe in a God who exists and created and ordered the world and watches over life. A God that wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other is taught in the Bible and most world religions. But the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And God's not really involved in my life unless I need him, unless I have a problem, right? And finally, good people go to heaven when they die. It's just this very surface level, pick the things that are nice that I want that fit in my life and leave the rest. It makes no pretense of changing people's lives. It's low commitment. It's compartmentalized set of attitudes aimed at meeting my needs and making me happy. If it feels good, I'll do it. If it makes me happy, then I'll do it. Rather than bending my life into a pattern of love and obedience to God. And unfortunately, many times, we, trying to reach out, we, we do it the wrong way. And he says, setting a low bar for religious commitment of any kind, tending God's garden with forks and spoons when tractors and backhoes are in order. Something to think about. John says, if you say you know God, but you don't want to obey him, boy, there's trouble. There's trouble. Number one, how are we living? If we know him, he says, we'll keep his word. God's love will be matured in our life. We'll abide in him and we'll walk the way that he walks. It's been said if you're a Christian, a Christian no longer loves the sin he, he once used to. A Christian no longer brags about his sin like he used to. He no longer plans to sin like he used to. A Christian no longer fondly remembers those sins like they used to. A Christian never fully enjoys sin like they used to. And a Christian is no longer comfortable in habitual sin like they once were. Is it getting a little warm in here? Okay, it's not just the, the word, right? Maybe somebody could get some air stirring. Thanks, Sam. If you're a Christian, how are you living? And I think that's probably why Paul had to say, you know what? I die daily. Because every day we have a choice. Jesus, am I going to let you in? Or am I going to live on my own today? Every day we can make that choice moment by moment. 
Sure, we fall down, we make mistakes. Sure, we find ourselves caught in addictions. But what's your goal? Is your goal to be set free? Or is your goal to just hang on to it and never let go? Number one, they'll know we're Christians by how we live. Let's move on to number two, verse seven. Dear friends, I'm writing you, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which is you've had from the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. This command is the command to love each other. And he's saying, boy, it's not new, it's old. In fact, put your, your finger in 1 John and go back to Leviticus 19 real quick. I want to show you this. Leviticus 19. Most of us are familiar with Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Right? But look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. This command to love each other is old. It's been around from the very beginning. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. Ooh. Did you hear that? Don't seek revenge. Don't hold a grudge. But, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And you thought Leviticus only had things about food and about sacrifices in it. No. It's almost so basic, it's just a passing thought. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. <coughs> so back to 1 John. Chapter 2, it's not an old command. It's an, excuse me, it's not a new command. It's an old command because it's been around. But then in verse 8, he, he also says that it is a new command. It's old and it's new. Look at verse 8. 1 John chapter 2. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. It's new because, partly because we forgot about it. Jesus said, hey, I'm giving you a new commandment. John chapter 13, love one another. It's new because they forgot about it. It's new because we have new power to live it out through the Holy Spirit. And it's new because we now have the demonstration of what that fully looks like. Jesus living, dying for us. We got to see uh, the fullness of the love of God. In Christ, God's love is wide enough for every human being. It's long enough to last throughout eternity. It's deep enough to reach the, the, the deepest, darkest sins of our lives, and it's high enough to take us to heaven. This is the new manifestation of the love, which John says has been, verse 8, seen in him, and in you. How are we living? How are we loving? You'll notice here that John doesn't say love your enemies. Jesus said that earlier. He's saying love your brother. Let's look at the verse next. The next verse. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. You say, hey, I love Jesus. I love God. I'm a Christian. I just can't stop. Damn those people. Still in darkness. 
Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Boy, the love of God has a transforming power in our lives. Loving your brother isn't the same as enjoying being around your brother. Is that clear? Love. What is love? I read a good definition this week. Love is the steady direction of the will for the good of another. The steady direction of the will for the good of another. In other words, I may not like being around someone. And that's okay. But in my heart, I say, you know what, God? I don't enjoy that person's personality. But I sure want to see them in heaven. God, I want, them to, I want you to work in their lives, God. And I hope the best for them. That's love. That's love. Now, ideally, we'll be able to get along with each other, too. But love is wanting the best for another individual. He didn't talk about loving his enemies, our enemies, but if we can't love the people in our church, how are we going to love people out on the streets? Got to start here. Got to let that love be manifest to others. Love can keep us from stumbling. Love can keep us from getting tripped up on our own bitterness and grudges and, and, and these feelings of hatred that we have for others. You know, somebody can die and you can still have this grudge against them and it'll be totally impossible for them to ever ask for forgiveness from you. And people still hold on to this bitterness. They're holding themselves prisoner. Holding on to that does nothing but destroy us. Somebody once said that, that bitterness is like making poison for your enemy and then drinking it yourself. John didn't say we have to like and enjoy being around everyone. But he said if you're a follower of Jesus, you're making a choice to let his love come into your heart and let it go out of your heart to other people. Willing good things in everybody's life regardless of how they treat you. Love doesn't mean you have to put up with abusive situations, right? Love doesn't... Sometimes love means setting healthy boundaries, right? There's more we could talk about that. Love doesn't mean making yourself a doormat. Uh, but love means wanting everybody to be saved, wanting God to work in everybody's life. So how do we live? We live with a heart that says, Jesus, I want to obey you. I need help obeying you, but I want to obey you. And Jesus, I want to love other people. I want to let go of this grudge, this bitterness that I kind of enjoy festering in my heart. And I want to just let it go so I don't stumble, so I don't trip. Verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Do you want to be blind? Or do you want to see? They say that love is blind. Well, according to John, love actually helps you to see. Right? To see people as Jesus sees them. Uh, and, and often to see ourselves more honestly. So number one, how do we know if we're a Christian? 
Well, we got to look at our own heart honestly and say, God, what's my attitude towards you, towards your word? And how do I love others? What's my approach to others? Live like Jesus, love like Jesus. Well, that's it for, t- for today. That's it. But now we got to wrap it up. You say, oh, good sermon, Pastor. I like those two points. Live, love. All right, got it. Now it's time for you to do some, own, some thinking in your own life. So how do we take this home out the door as you leave to potluck to your own um, experience? We go up here, that's what we do. <laughs> Afraid some of you couldn't see me, so I just kidding. So how do we wrap it up? Two things. Number one, in your heart today, I challenge you to pray this prayer. God, is there any area of my life where I'm not living in harmony with your word? God, is there any area of disobedience in my life? That's kind of a scary prayer because we don't like to realize that there's more growth we need to do and we need Jesus to do. Number one, I dare you, pray this prayer today. God, is there an area of my life where I can obey you more, follow your will better, walk like Jesus more fully? And number two, Are there any people in my life, God, that I need to start praying for? Not your usual prayer list, but the people that you have a hard time loving list. And I want to challenge you to pray every single day, at least once a day, if not multiple times a day, for the next seven days for that individual. Pick one or two people or more if you need to. Pray that God will put love in your heart for them and pray that God will do good things in their life. So number one, God, is there any area of my life I'm not obeying you in? And if so, help me to start obeying through your power. And number two, God, are there any people that I need to love better? And then start praying for them every single day this week. So who wants to take me up on this challenge? I'm going to do this. Are you going to do it? Not enough just to hear the word. We need to put it into practice. Live like Jesus, love like Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we can't do any of this without your help. So here we are saying, please give us the power. Help us to experience your love, which will give us the the power to want to obey, the power to obey, and the power to love others as you do. Because it will be your love and not our own. This is our prayer. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. I will see some of you next week at the retreat. Those of you that aren't going to the retreat, we're going to have a service next week in the youth chapel. There's going to be some sort of Sabbath school, and there's going to be some sort of special service. We're going to put on a DVD or something. Clary said she'll already do music. So it's going to be a blessing. Come next week, and we'll see you then. God bless.